Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Radio College Football Analyst Joe Lisi and former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Yeah. up. Here's Joe and Corey. Great to be back on the air today talking about college football. It doesn't get better than this. We're rounding out the month of May. We got about two weeks left before we really get front and center stage with the college football season for the 2016 season. Going to be some great, great action week number one. Buckle up, because if you're a college football fan, there's marquee matchups, front and center stage, power five conferences taking front and center stage for these battles. Top ten matchups across the landscape, about ten great games, and I mean great games if you're a college football fan. It doesn't get better than this. It'll carry over to week number two, to the largest college football game in history in Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia Tech and Tennessee officially sold out. No more tickets left. That's going to be 160,000-plus for that matchup. Week number two on September 10th, I mean, this is why college football is the best game in town. You cannot tell me otherwise. There is no landscape like we see each and every Saturday in college football. You could talk about the NFL. You could talk about MMA. You could talk about soccer. Forget it. Tradition, rivalry, intensity. Week in and week out, second to none. The landscape of college football, unprecedented in my mind. And in in my mind, nothing better. I get pumped up. I get amped up. Talking about these battles, week number one, I've gotten into a lot of breakdowns of these games. I'm going to continue with my thoughts and opinions about these marquee battles. Corey will be with me tomorrow night. We'll be talking about the landscape within the SEC and these big battles. We'll talk about Houston and Oklahoma, another marquee battle. We'll also touch on UCLA and Texas A&M. I mean, come on. If you're a college football fan from the West Coast to the East Coast, We're going to be battling it out week number one of the season, a marquee battle that we've talked about to to some degree, but we'll get into a little bit deeper tonight is Notre Dame in Texas. This is an interesting battle. Notre Dame won that matchup last year, 38-3. They now travel to Austin to take on Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong's on the hot seat, but I can guarantee you this Texas Longhorn team will be jacked, they'll be up into this ballgame, and they'll be ready week number one. You're going to get the Texas Longhorns' best effort in their home stadium. They're going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at Notre Dame and Brian Kelly. I can't wait to see how that matches up in Darrell Royal Stadium on September 4th. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout-out to our great sponsors on the show, SixShades.com. SixShades.com. Check it out. They have the greatest sunglasses. They're made by Eddie Bauer Jr. If you haven't checked it out, go to SixShades.com. Enter promo code 
go for the two. That's go for the two, the number two. Get $20 off your order today. I'm telling you, they have styles for every need, athletic styles, casual styles, even dress wear. I'm telling you, if you need sunglasses, check out the sunglasses by SickShades.com. Eddie Bauer Jr. has a great line. I love shirts, and if you've watched me, I love to wear Alexander Anton shirts. I mean, these are one of a kind. You can custom design them. Alexander Anton, I mean, check them out. You can put together your own designs. I mean, any type of color, any type of interior design. The the shirts are made right here in the U.S. of A. That's AlexanderAnton.com. Check it out, AlexanderAnton.com. I wore one for Mother's Day, black with a great print, had the, the cuffs folded over. I'm telling you, these are great, great shirts. Check it out today at AlexanderAnton.com. Let's talk about this week one matchup, Notre Dame and Texas. You look at Notre Dame, they won this matchup 38-3 to last year. They dominated the Texas Longhorns and really wore down a young, inexperienced defense at home in South Bend. Malik Zaire with a a big day, and and the offensive line really played very well. And defensively, they really shut down the Longhorns' offense. Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd were, were really shut down from a quarterback perspective. But this is an intriguing battle because you look at Notre Dame last year in 2015, lost three games to Clemson, Ohio State in the bowl game, and Stanford. Those teams had a combined overall record of 38-4. and They lost those three games by a total of 20 points overall, 6.6 points per game. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish lost. They lost by two to Clemson. They lost by two to Stanford. And they lost the bowl game to Ohio State. But this is going to be an intriguing battle because who will get the nod at the quarterback position for Notre Dame? If you're asking me, it's got to be the Sean Kaiser. I mean, this kid really performed, took over from the league Zaire in the, in the road victory to, uh, in Charlottesville against the Cavaliers. That's when the league Zaire got hurt in the first half. He really took over the reins. He progressed in the system. He threw for 2,880 yards, completed over 62% of his passes, 21 touchdowns. And, and Zaire played very well for, for the first two games of the year. He completed over 65% of his passes, four touchdowns, no interceptions. You really have a dual threat in terms of the quarterbacks for Notre Dame. And I know. I have a feeling Brian Kelly might go to Malik Zaire, but if you're asking me, I like Kaiser because he did get it done last year. He was the guy that took the team to the bowl game. Even though they didn't win that matchup, he progressed in the system. It's going to be intriguing to see how that plays out. But you look at the the production offensively for Notre Dame. 34 points per game offensively. They rushed for 208 yards on the ground, and they passed for 257 passing yards per game. They're going to miss Will Fuller and Chris Brown. Now, both of those guys combined for 110 receptions, 1,855 yards, team receiving touchdowns. That's 72% of the production, the offensive wide receiver production in the 2015 season. Now, Corey Robinson does come back, but he did have a disappointing 2015 season. Didn't really step up. Didn't, I mean, he's a big kid. He's got great size, but didn't take that next step in the system last year. Sort of got overshadowed by Will Fuller and Chris Brown. And they lose C.J. Procise at the running back position. They got Torian Folson, who comes back. Offensive line should be solid. But they're going to be going on the road week number one. Now, I think when you look at this matchup overall, Notre Dame is going to want to try and attack the secondary Texas. You look at last year, Texas allowed 233 passing yards per game. 
They allow 219 rushing yards per game. They allow 30 points per game as a defensive unit. So that's the matchup overall. You want to see the passing attack going up against really a suspect secondary in Texas last year, but they are a year older. They did have some key losses in the 2015 season. How does that offense attack Texas on the road week number one? And then if you're the Texas offense, you have some question marks. Gerard Hurt Hurt did get hurt in the spring. He sat out the last two weeks of the season. How will that affect the offense and the continuity? Does Tyrone Swoops win the job? Are they going to go with a dual quarterback system? This was an offense that had glaring, glaring weaknesses in the passing attack last year. Texas only averaged 26 points per game, a run-heavy offense. They averaged 224 passing yards per game. They only passed, excuse me, 224 rushing yards per game. They only passed for 145 yards through the air. This was a Longhorn team that lost seven ball games in 2015. They lost those seven ball games and were outscored by a margin of 273 to 146. In those seven losses last year, Texas only averaged 20 points per game. They only had two passing touchdowns and six interceptions. And they only passed for around 145 yards through the air in those ballgames. So as they stepped up against the better teams in the Big 12 and on their schedule, they struggled to stretch teams vertically. Now, they're going to have to challenge the Notre Dame secondary in this ballgame. Now, even though Notre Dame had a solid record, they still allowed 24 points per game in 2015. And they allowed 175 yards on the ground last year. That was their most since prior to 2008. They allowed 196 passing yards per game. So they were solid as a defensive secondary, but they didn't force a lot of turnovers. As a secondary unit, they only had nine interceptions. That was their lowest total since the 2011 season. So Texas is going to want to try and run the football because you look at Notre Dame's three losses last year to Clemson, Stanford, and Ohio State. They failed to shut down the run consistently. They gave up 212 to Clemson, 153 to Stanford, and 285 to Ohio State. That averaged out to about 216 rushing yards per game in their three losses. And defensively, Notre Dame was horrendous in terms of forcing turnovers. They were minus six as as a unit in turnover margin, but they were minus nine in turnover margin on the road. So in order to win this battle week number one in Austin, Notre Dame is going to have to run the football effectively. They're going to have to shut down the run, but more importantly, they're going to have to force turnovers. And when you break down big ball games, that's the sign of a, a solid defensive unit. Can they shut down the run, and can they force turnovers on the road? That's what you want to see. More times than not, if you see solid defensive units and solid teams that perform well on the road, they're shutting down the run, and they're forcing turnovers on the road. And that's something in 2015 that Notre Dame didn't do. And all three of those losses, Clemson, Stanford, and Ohio State, either came on the road or on a neutral field site. So this isn't going to be a walk in the park for Notre Dame. Week number one, I don't care what you say. They're going into a tough environment in Austin, Texas. And Texas will be up and ready for this matchup. Can Texas progress in the passing attack? We're going to have to see. Because that's what Charlie Strong wants to do. He wants to run the football. He wants to work off a play action. He wants to utilize Gerard Hurd's mobility. He doesn't really want to get into a shootout, throwing the ball all, all over the place. He wants to have a consistent passing attack, and he wants to throw the football when he has to and have success. But he is, does not want to have an offense like Sonny Dykes has at California 
or off Riles and Baylor. He does not want that type of offense. He didn't have that in Louisville with Teddy Bridgewater. He had a very balanced attack. He had a, a great signal caller in Teddy Bridgewater that made solid decisions in the play-action passing attack. He knew where he had to go with the football and in his progressions, and he relied on a solid front seven that he built up until last year because that those statistics by Louisville last year with rankings being selected in the, in the top 50 last year in the draft was due to the success of Charlie Strong's mentality and philosophy that he built in Louisville from a defensive perspective. That wasn't Todd Grandham. I, I hate, hate to say that, but it was a carryover effect of what Charlie Strong built as a core with the Louisville Cardinals in his tenure there. So when you look at this Texas defense, too, that's where Charlie Strong has to take strides. 30 points per game was their most since prior to 2008. Their 233 passing yards per game was their most since the 2008 season where they surrendered 250-plus in their seven losses, Texas. Texas allowed in their seven losses 230 rushing yards per game and 222 passing yards per game. They surrendered 33 total touchdowns in those seven losses, 15 on the ground and 18 in the secondary. They're going to need a much better effort week number one against Notre Dame's offense because all things being equal, Notre Dame has a significant advantage offensively from the 2015 season till now. They have two quarterbacks that can stretch teams vertically. In Kaiser and Malik Zaire, they have weapons at the wideout position where Texas is sort of one-dimensional now. Can they take the next step in the passing game? That's what we're going to have to see week number one. We need guys like John Burke to step up. He played, he showed glimpses of greatness, but can he take the next step? Can he be the go-to guy? Because you look at that Texas offensive line, they allowed 32 sacks as a unit. Now, two mobile quarterbacks, 32 sacks is an alarming, alarming statistic. Because that, to me, signals that the quarterback's did not read their progressions. They didn't know where they wanted to go with the football. They took too much time in, ter- in terms of locating their wide receivers. And the wide receivers then, when the quarterbacks were under pressure, weren't breaking off their routes or they were inexperienced route runners, which is what Texas had last year. Because if you have two mobile guys like Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd and you're still giving up 32 sacks as an offensive line, Something's wrong. And I know Swoops is a big guy, but he's still a mobile quarterback. So that that's something that, as a Texas fan, you want to see week number one, and you need to see if Texas is going to make the next step in the Big 12 this year. But I think Charlie Strong is going to do it. There's two games last year that Texas struggled. We know Oklahoma State and California, two swing games. They should have had that California game at least to the to the end. I mean, they, they really – they missed an extra point that changed the whole momentum. They lost that ball game. And then the special teams break down with the punt against Oklahoma State again. So those are two games now. Would they have won those in overtime? Probably maybe 50-50 at least. But you're still looking at a 500 season if they pull one of those games out. So that from an from a emotional standpoint, those really crippled the Longhorns. But when they're on, when Texas is hitting on all cylinders, look at, look at the domination of Oklahoma where they rushed for 312 yards on the Oklahoma Sooners and the domination of Baylor. Now, I know Baylor didn't have Seth Russell, but still. They dominated them in Waco. 
and this was a team when you think about it, Texas was plus 12, plus 11 in turnover margin overall. That's the 11th best turnover margin in the country. USC and them at plus 11 out of 127 teams. Now, USC was 8-6 and six overall. Texas was 5-7. and seven. They were plus 12 in turnover margin at home, minus 1 in turnover margin on the road. When you're so positive in turnover margin, more times than not, you're going to be a successful team. And Texas was 5-7. and seven. Wasted opportunities. They were very opportunistic. And in their victories, they created turnovers. And they also had 37 sacks as a unit last year. So that's a, that's a sign that they're getting Charlie Strong's scheme. And he, he started a lot of freshmen last year. So we're going to have to see in, in year 2016 who's going to be the bright spot defensively. Should be an intriguing battle, though, in Austin, Texas. It's, this place is going to be rocking. And Notre Dame and Texas have played some great, great matchups. 1996, that was a great battle. Notre Dame won that matchup by three points. That was the game that Bryant Westbrook laid out, Autry Denson. It was an option on a toss sweep. He got laid out, came up in run support. That was a great battle. 1996, James Brown at the quarterback position for Texas. Great battle. Remember that game like it was yesterday on ABC. Notre Dame had guys like Corey Miner, Laron Cobbins. Got to love those great teams on both sides of the ball. Ricky Williams was there. Wayne McGarrity was there. Great, great battles. We'll turn our attention to another game. This Florida State-Ole Miss game is another intriguing one. Florida State-Ole Miss, I mean, intriguing. Florida State lost three games last year. Georgia Tech-Clemson and Houston. Those teams had a combined overall record of 31 and 11. 31 and 11. You look at this offense, this could be one of the most dynamic offenses in college football. You talk about Clemson. I mean, that's the match. That, those are the two more key offenses in college football. And I know some from Chapel Hill will say, don't forget us. But let's look at those three offenses right now. I'll break down all three of those offenses. Florida State first, just offensively. You're going to have Sean McGuire, a quarterback, Dalvin Cook at the running back position with Jack Patrick, Mario Penders off the team. You're going to have Travis Rudolph, Kermit Woodfield, and Jesus Wilson. This was a Florida State offense that averaged 31 points per game. They rushed for 169 yards on the ground and 255 yards through the air in 2015. Sean McGuire completed 59% of his passes, 11 touchdowns. Cook, 1,693 rushing yards, averaged 7.3 yards per carry, 19 rushing touchdowns. Those three wide receivers, Wilson, Whitfield, and Rudolph, 174 total receptions, 2,336 receiving yards, 16 touchdowns. Unreal. Let's go to Clemson. Clemson. They averaged 38 points per game in 2015. 224 rushing yards per game, 291 passing yards per game. Deshaun Watson, dynamic. Completed 67% of his passes, 4,104 yards, 35 passing touchdowns. He also rushed for 1,105 yards, averaged 5.5 yards per carry, 
12 rushing touchdowns. Wayne Gallman, 1,527 rushing yards, 13 rushing touchdowns. Clemson, 11 straight games from Georgia Tech through the national championship game, 11 straight games with over 500 yards of total offense. In 11 of the 15 games, they rushed for over 200 yards of total offense. And in 13 of the 15 games, they completed 60% or more of their passes. The only two games that Clemson did not complete 60% or more of their passes, the victory at home to Notre Dame, 47%, and the, and the playoff victory to Oklahoma, 53%. And they get Mike Williams coming back, who fractured his neck last year in the, in the home win over Appalachian State. You got Renfro. You got Octavius Scott. You got Mike Williams at the wide receiver position. Are you kidding me? Dynamic. All right, let's talk about North Carolina. North Carolina averaged 40 points per game in 2015. They they averaged 224 rushing yards per game and 262 passing yards per game. Now, Marquise Williams last year accounted for 37 total touchdowns, 24 through the air and 13 on the ground. Mitch Trubisky is the guy. He already got the nod from Larry Fedora. He's the guy. Last year, he completed 85% of his passes, 555 passing yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh, by the way, he's got Elijah Hood, too. 1,463 rushing yards, 6.7 yards per carry, 17 rushing touchdowns, wide receivers. He's got a guy named Mac Hollins. He's got a guy named Ryan Switzer and Bug Howard. Mac Hollins and Ryan Switzer combined for 85 receptions, 1,442 receiving yards, and 10 receiving touchdowns. Dynamic offenses in the ACC. Dynamic. Those are the top three offenses in the ACC. But Florida State could be the best out of all three of those in the 2016 season. We're going to have to see. But when you look at the Florida State Ole Miss matchup, very intriguing. The game's taking place in the Citrus Bowl. So it's in Florida. Florida State's offensive line allowed 26 sacks last year. So that's the knock. You know where Sean McGuire is going to be. He's not a mobile quarterback. He's a pocket passer. So if the offensive line isn't up to par, could be a problem as the season progresses. But you look at Ole Miss. Ole Miss. 10-3 last year. They won 10 games by 27 points per game. They lost three games to Florida, Memphis, and Arkansas by 14 points per game. They lost those three ballgames. But Ole Miss averaged 40 points per game as well. They rushed for 183 yards on the ground and 334 passing yards per game. Chad Kelly completed 65% of his passes, 4,042 yards, 31 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Oh, and by the way, Chad Kelly did have 10 rushing touchdowns on the year. Now they lose Laquan Treadwell, they lose Jalen Walton at the running back position, but he's got Evan Ingram coming back. That's a big, big target. They really didn't utilize Evan Ingram the way they did in the 2014 season. He's a guy that could be an X factor. You could utilize him on linebackers and nickelbacks. He's a guy that you want to utilize in the red zone. And and Chad Kelly early on did not utilize Evan Ingram in the passing game. But he did spread the ball around to a number of different receivers. A number of different receivers. 
You look at the defenses in this matchup, very, very intriguing battle defensively. Florida State only gave up 17 points per game. They only gave up 149 yards on the ground and about 186 passing yards per game. But their quarterback in the secondary is gone, Jalen Ramsey. That guy was a 5-2 player. He was the quarterback of that secondary. He's gone now. You look at Florida State's three losses, they failed to shut down the run. They gave up 221 rushing yards per game to Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Houston. They need a better effort in this week one matchup. Another area concerns turnover margin. Florida State even in turnover margin. Second straight year, they were they failed to be positive. 2014, they were minus six. Last year, even. So that's that's an intriguing battle. You want to see which team is solid in terms of creating turnovers, which team plays well on a neutral field site. Very active defensive front, though. Solid. 30-plus sacks. I think they were in the area 34, 37 in that area as a statistical defensive unit. So they were an active front seven, and they played very well. They're going to have to contain Chad Kelly in the pocket. They can't allow him to break contain on the outside. They're going to have to maintain their gap integrity, and those defensive ends are going to have to maintain their position. They cannot cut in and go down the line of scrimmage on Chad Kelly because he can roll out and he can throw on the run, and that's something that you want to keep an eye out on week number one. And that's how he burned Alabama last year. When you have an over-aggressive defense, sometimes a mobile quarterback, that's a dual threat, like Deshaun Watson, like Chad Kelly, can burn you. So if you're Florida State, you want to maintain your gap integrity. You want Those defensive ends can't be overly aggressive because if they bite on play action to mean big plays on the back end, on waggle, and on deep post routes as well. So you got to keep an eye out for that matchup with Chad Kelly. And Hugh Freeze is a riverboat gambler. He loves to roll the dice. So he's going to throw the kitchen sink at Florida State defense week number one. Make no mistake about it. This is a, an Ole Miss team that has a, a difficult, difficult schedule. One of the worst schedules in college football. If you broke it, look at their schedule. They have a gauntlet. If Ole Miss runs that gauntlet, they'll be a playoff team. It's not going to be easy. And I, and I think the cards are stacked against them. But if they somehow run the table, Ole Miss should have no problem being in the playoff because that is a tough, tough schedule for the 2015 season. And when you look at Ole Miss's defense, they only, gave, they only surrendered 22 points per game last year. They only gave up 127 yards on the ground. They gave up 258 passing yards per game. The 127 was their best total since 2008 when they only gave up 86 rushing yards per game. The 258 was their worst since prior to 2011, uh, 2008, excuse me. And more importantly, in those three losses, they allowed 300 and 65 yards per game passing through the air to opposing quarterbacks. And they allowed 13 passing touchdowns and only forced one interception. Need a better effort. I'm sorry. You need a better effort against Sean McGuire in that offense week number one. And they take some hits in the secondary as well. They do get Tony Conner back. He's a nickelback. He plays a little rover. He's a dynamic, athletic player. So that, that benefits that defense. But they take some hits in the secondary this year. And that's where week number one, when you look at mismatches from a formation perspective, when you have raw, inexperienced guys 
that have to break down coverages and have to break down formations that could be a problem going up against an experienced offense in Florida State. So keep an eye out for that, week number one. And, and turnover margin as well. This is a team that in their three losses was minus five in turnover margin in Ole Miss. They failed to win the turnover battle in their three losses. They struggled in the swamp. They struggled against Memphis, and they struggled against Arkansas. Two of the three losses were on the road. You don't like to see that. You want to see teams respond on the road. They were like a Jekyll and Hyde team. They knocked off Alabama on the road. Then they go on the road to Memphis and Paxton Lynch, and they get, they get shut down in the second half and lose that ball game. Then they go on the road on the Plains in Auburn and win that matchup. They lose in the swamp. Can't have that. You, you want your team to be consistent. And that's the one thing that Hugh Freeze didn't have last year, a Jekyll and Hyde team. So we'll see how that plays out. What's interesting about Oklahoma, and, and I started breaking this game down, Oklahoma and Houston, is Oklahoma averaged 40-plus points per game. 40-plus points per game. They were a dynamic offense that was balanced. But you look at the two losses last year. They lost two games. They lost the Red River rivalry to Texas, and they lost the playoff game to Clemson. You want to talk about scary? In both of those games, they only scored 17 points each. Almost 26 points less than their seven, uh, the season average. 17 points identical. In both losses, they only rushed for 67 yards as an offense per game. Identical. 67 against Texas, 67 against Clemson. And defensively, they allowed 312 rushing yards to Texas and 313 to Clemson. How scary is that? Identical output offensively, defensively. So basically, in the two games that Oklahoma lost, they failed to run the football and they failed to shut down the run. And that was the recipe for their losses in the 2015 season. Identical. Identical output offensively in terms of scoring output. Identical rushing output. And and one yard difference in what their defense gave up to both opposing offenses. That's an unbelievable statistic. And a lot a lot of experts are picking Oklahoma to be the team because of Baker Mayfield, Joe Mixon, Perrine. They lose Sterling Shepard. But Westbrook comes back. Should be an interesting, interesting team. They're going to be going up against Houston and Greg Ward Jr. I was all over Houston last year. I I picked them. I loved them against Louisville when they played Bobby Petrino and Lamar Jackson that week three matchup or week two matchup. Nobody was giving any credit to Greg Ward Jr. I'd seen him play in the 2014 season. This was a guy that was played high school quarterback. But then he got switched and then took over in this fifth or sixth game of the 2014 season. And he progressed throughout the year, and he made some mistakes. But if you watch that 2014 season, Greg Wood was dynamic. Go back to that matchup, and you want to see a competitor. 2014, watch that game. Cincinnati and Houston. Cincinnati dominated three quarters of that game. And Greg Ward battled and he battled and he battled and he had his team within striking distance to send that game into overtime. They had 
fourth and goal at the five-yard line, and they had a couple of cracks at the end zone, and he could not convert. But this was a kid that battled and battled and battled. And I knew he was a star in the making last year. Just knew it. And you add the offensive genius and Tom Herman to the mix and add a bruising running back in Kenneth Farrell. I mean, dynamic. And they have a solid secondary led by William Jackson. They were a solid, solid secondary. And that was a team that really, for me, was a game changer because I watched the 2014 season. And another game you could watch in 2014 was the loss to BYU. There's another game where they showed glimpses of greatness. They were on the road in Provo, and that secondary came up with some turnovers, and they battled BYU very, very tough in 2014. And that gave you an insight as to the type of team that they would have had last year. And I saw it. Now, I didn't think they would be 14-1. and one. This was a dynamic team that progressed throughout the 2014 season and got the right coach and took it to another level. And they're talking college football playoffs. They need to run the table. They need to run the table, but they can do it, and they have the offense to do it. Will the defense respond? They're going to be challenged week number one, make no mistake about it, because if there's another competitor that you want to see, his name is Baker Mayfield, number six for Oklahoma. This kid is a true competitor. This kid's an under-the-radar quarterback. He's a gamer. I love everything he brings in terms of the intangibles, in terms of the intensity and the swagger. got to love this kid. He epitomizes college football in a nutshell. So that's going to be an intriguing battle that takes place that we have to see how does that game play out, number one, because that can make or break the season for both of those teams. Dominant victory by Oklahoma, that'll be top five. We'll be talking playoff right after that game. They face Ohio State September 17th. So you're going to know Oklahoma after September. You're going to see what Oklahoma is made of with Houston week number one and then Ohio State week number three. Those are two intriguing games that will make or break the season. Another game that you got to, that you, you know, you look at in terms of breakdowns, this LSU-Wisconsin game, very, very intriguing. It's a rematch of 2014. It's in Lambeau Field. I wish this game was in December, to be honest with you. I would love to see that dried out, dead grass in Lambeau Field. Those cheese heads, see the breath coming out. I don't want to see green grass in Lambeau. I want to see tan, beige grass. I want to see the LSU Tigers in their road white uniforms, home white, road white, whatever they wear. Not sure how they, they figure it out. One day they wear purple, the next day they're wearing white at home. Depends on the opponent, depends on at night. When they played it, Wisconsin two years ago, they wore the white. But that looks great on the, on the field in Lambeau against Wisconsin, the Cheeseheads going to look awesome, awesome. But the game is in September. I'll take it. LSU won the game 28-24. to 24. Come from behind win in the second half. Gary Anderson got outcoached by the hat and John Chavis. The hat and John Chavis outcoached Gary Anderson in that game. And if you're asking me, I think he realized Pac-12 sort of really fits Gary Anderson's mold in his landscape of what he did at Utah State. He's at home in Oregon State. 
not a lot of expectations like Wisconsin. But LSU overall, I, I've seen the annals. I've seen it. LSU top five. Fournette for the Heisman. I agree. Fournette's a, a, a Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, I've never seen a year Heisman Trophy-wise, and I don't get into the Heisman Trophy, meaning I get into it. But week number one, I could care less. I'm not breaking down Heisman Trophy, guys, because I care more about the season. I want to see who wins. I want to see how these games play out. I'll worry about the Heisman when I see the body of work come November, and then I'll make my choice for the Heisman or who I think is going to win it. But to me, the season is more important. The, the off-the-season accolades I worry about when the season's over. But when you talk about front runners for the Heisman, have you ever seen a year with so much fanfare? I mean, come on. Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. You could throw in Elijah Hood and Wayne Gallman. Quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Chad Kelly. Well, heck, throw in Deshaun Kaiser or Malik Zaire. Baker Mayfield. I mean, really? That's 10 guys right there. 10 guys that we mentioned. You could throw Calvin Ridley in there. Want to throw in a tight end? Throw in O.J. Howard. You don't know what he can do. Derek Brown, when he was at Notre Dame, was considered a Heisman Trophy guy. He was a game changer at the tight end position. So there's, I mean, you, I mean, one guy defensively that I'll throw in right now is Jabril Peppers. What he does in defensive schemes, and I know they have him at linebacker, but what he did from a safety rover position, quarterback position last year for that Michigan defense is unbelievable, and not to get off topic. I'll get there later, but unbelievable. So when you talk about Leonard Fournette, yeah, he's a front runner. But when you look at this matchup against Wisconsin, I just don't see where, where everybody's putting the pieces together week number one that this is a preseason top five in LSU, and that's not to take away from the hat. I love Les Miles and what he does. This was an LSU offense that averaged 32 points per game in 2015. They rushed for 257 yards on the ground and 179 passing yards per game. Brandon Harris completed 53% of his passes, 13 touchdowns. Leonard Fournette rushed for 1,953 yards. He averaged 6.5 yards per carry, 22 rushing touchdowns. But they lost three games last year. Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss. Three in a row. In those three games, they only rushed for 99 rushing yards per game. In those three games, Leonard Fournette only rushed for 76 yards per game and two touchdowns. And more importantly, in those three games, the LSU Tigers averaged 15 points per game 17 points less than their season average, and trailed at the half 55-24 to 24 in those three games. So they didn't make second-half adjustments. Okay. Defensively, they allowed 24 points per game. They gave up 122 rushing yards per game and 224 passing yards per game. The 24 passing uh, points per game was their most since 2008. And the 224 passing yards per game was their most since prior to 2008. In those three losses, their defense gave up 233 rushing yards per game and, and nine rushing touchdowns on the ground. This was a team that was plus seven in turnover margin, but did it at home. They were plus eight at home and minus one on the road. So on big games, on a neutral field site or on the road, 
they lost. They lost two or three on the road. They did have 34 sacks as a unit. And I know they get a boost with Dave Aranda as the defensive coordinator. I got that. So that automatically means they're a top five team. They don't have to go out on the field and prove it. I'm just saying, where are they gauging this from? It's all going to click week number one? This is a top five team automatically? Because, I mean, there's some glaring weaknesses that they do have to take into consideration. Most points allowed in the secondary since prior to 2008, most passing yards, most points since 2008 when they allowed 24 points a game. That's seven years ago. So I understand it's a long, long time. And in those three losses, they failed to shut down the run, 233 rushing yards per game. Now, Wisconsin is going to be a one-dimensional offense. They lose their signal caller, Joel Stave. And I think, and make no mistake about it, I do think that LSU in this week one matchup on paper has a significant advantage athletically and with Dave Aranda because he understands personnel from Wisconsin. But that into consideration, Wisconsin averaged 26 points per game in 2015. They rushed for 150 yards on the ground, and they passed for 221 yards through the air. The 221 was their most since 2011 with Russell Wilson at the helm. Their most since 2011 and when Paul Chris was the offensive coordinator. But you look at the 150 rushing yards per game, 150 rushing yards per game. That's not Wisconsin football. But let's look at the last three years. 2013, the Badgers rushed for 283 yards per game. 2014, when Melvin Gordon was the guy, they rushed for 320 yards per game. Last year, they had Corey Clement. He got hurt. I understand that. It was a a raw, inexperienced offensive line. They rushed for 150 yards per game. But in their three losses to Bama, Iowa, and Northwestern, three yards per game, 33. You're not going to win any game when you're that one-dimensional. Barb's Houston, I talked to Jerry DiNardo. If you listen to the show, he's got the inside track. He, he's got limited experience, but he understands Paul Chris' system. He played last year when Stavi got hurt. Two touchdowns through the air, three interceptions. Defensively, they were stout. This was a solid defense last year, and you saw how good they were with that really domination of USC. They forced Mathias. To, to, they forced USC to methodically work down the field. They forced that offensive Cody Kessler in that bowl game to methodically work down the field, and that's why Dave Aranda's in Baton Rouge, because Les Miles knows and knew that Kevin Steele wasn't the guy. Wasn't the guy. Kevin Steele makes a lateral move to Auburn, but let's be honest. Kevin Steele was not the guy. Dave Aranda, what he did with that Wisconsin defense, they allowed 13 points per game, better than Alabama. Alabama allowed 15 points per game. They had the fourth-best rushing defense in the country. They allowed 95 rushing yards per game. And they gave up 173 passing yards per game. They only gave up seven passing touchdowns in the 2015 season. 13 games, 10 games, think about that for a second. Seven passing touchdowns. They forced teams to methodically work down the field and they didn't give up the big play. Now, in their three losses to Alabama, Iowa, and Northwestern, they gave up 177 rushing yards per game. 177. They're going to be going up against a very run-heavy offense in Leonard Fournette, Darrell Williams, and Geis, and a heavy offensive line pounded the rock for 257 yards on the ground last year. 
And even though Cam Cameron's going to get more involved and he's going to get Brandon Harris more acclimated, they need Brandon Harris to progress in the passing attack. But make no mistake about it. They want to pound the football down your throat. And if you can't shut down the run, you're going to be in big trouble against LSU and Leonard Fournette and a three-headed beast. Because when Fournette comes out, Darrell Williams and Geist come in and look out, baby, because when Les Miles gets that train run, rolling, he's going to pound it down your throat. And this is a defense that only had 20 – they had 28 sacks, but they lose their defensive coordinator, the guy that also understands the scout team, the guy that understands the offensive talent. So this is a significant advantage on multiple levels, in my opinion, for LSU in this week one matchup. Does that mean LSU wins this game? No. I'm going to break this game down later, but on paper right now. Entering the month of June, LSU has a significant advantage in this ballgame. But that's what that's what makes college football so special. That's what makes this the best game in town because you're going to get Wisconsin's best effort. You've got an offensive genius and an offensive mind in Paul Chris, and I've said this before, that when you have all summer to prepare, that could be a game changer. Now, so does LSU. But all things being equal, Wisconsin – can prepare and get an edge up. I always think in these week one matchups, the lesser team or the less talent has an advantage. They have more time to prepare. Keep in mind, this isn't September where we just played a game last week and now we only have four or five days to break down game film. We don't don't know what we're going to utilize or who's healthy. You're going to have all your guys for the most part healthy. You have basically, let's be honest, since January to break down six, seven months of game film. Now, maybe not every coach is breaking down game film, but make no mistake about it. Paul Christ is breaking down game film from LSU. He's looking for tendencies. He's looking for something to get an edge. That's what the good coaches do. And that's what every coach should be doing if you want to make a run at the national championship or, or win, your, win your title. You shouldn't be out on the golf course. You shouldn't be making speaking engagements to, uh, unless you really have to. You should be breaking down game film for week number one of the season, especially if you're serious about making a, a, a college football playoff run. Wisconsin's best effort. Now, they played in a week one battle against Alabama, and I really thought in that matchup last year, they were prepared. They made some critical errors in key areas of the game that I really feel might have changed momentum. They had a short fourth down and two, and he punted the football. And I, I really thought you needed to be aggressive there if you're Paul Chris in that, in that time He chose to punt the ball, and then on the next possession, Alabama went on to score and jump up. And in order to win these ball games, you need to score first. I don't care if it's a field goal, a safety, a touchdown. You need to put the pressure on the opposing offenses. If you're going to take the football, it's a critical drive to score points, especially week number one. You want to put the pressure on opposing teams. But we're just getting started. This is what it's all about. Stay with me all season long on Go for the Two. Listen to tomorrow night's show with Corey Allen and I. We'll be talking about these games in greater detail. We'll get Corey's take as a former big play wide receiver about what he feels. This is what it's all about. For Corey Allen, I'm Joe Lisi. Stay with me all season long at Go for the Two. Have a great week, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.